This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we're lucky to have Bill Sandin. He's the former president of SSA and currently CEO of FM Consulting. Bill has extensive experience and specializes in audit and assurance, employee benefit plans, and forensic accounting and consulting. FM Consulting serves the needs of the business owner, beneficiaries of estates, and the divorce arena. Bill is a certified public accountant in both Colorado and Utah. He's a member of numerous professional and local associations and has served in many positions in the Colorado Society of CPAs and the Colorado Springs Chamber of Commerce. He currently serves as bank director and board member of the Colorado Educational and Cultural Facilities Authority. Bill, thanks for taking the time to be on the podcast. Well, it's good to be here. Well, Bill, what we usually try to do is start a little bit about you and talk about um, the, the clients that you serve. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been primarily an audit uh, partner for many years, and throughout that experience, I've got a lot of uh, fun experiences and some not so fun. But at this point, um, I wanted to change my career a little bit and simplify my life. And so I've gone into just looking at doing consulting in the forensic accounting arena. And we've done some of that, uh, certainly as part of my role at, at SSA, but uh, now I want to just pursue that uh, specific area going forward. You know, and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking of forensics, and I think of you the TV shows, which is those guys, or I think of forensics, which I think is debate, right? Yes. And then I think, you know, for the folks that don't know what forensic work is in the accounting arena, what is forensic work? Um, primarily just delving into the details, um, going to sources of the transactions, and making sure those are what has been recorded and or used in business transactions or in a divorce arena that those particular assets are uh, existing or are there other assets. So we do a lot of uh, tracing of transactions uh, to hopefully get all the transactions put together in a format or a summary that makes sense for whatever the uh, uh, project uh, covers. You know, we, we were talking before the podcast about uh, in your experience when you were with SSA that you went into a couple of uh, forensic situations and one had to do with a relatively sizable Ponzi scheme. Can you kind of walk us through um, that moment when you got called and then when you started to discover what was going on. What was that like? Tell us that story. Uh, this was really interesting and, you know, certainly uh, eye-opening as, as I went through it and um, many times uh, led me in some directions that were, that were uncomfortable dealing with personalities. But um, this was an employee benefit client that had a significant investment in a investment firm that dealt with a lot of uh, unconventional investments and their rate of return was uh, significant and a lot of other clients uh, went in with you know that idea of getting their uh, pension fund built up you, you know using this investment with higher returns and it um, came down to in my situation, providing an audit for that employee benefit plan, uh, where I was not comfortable with the information I was getting from this investment um, 
firm out of uh, Oregon. And I finally came to the conclusion that I could not give an audit report on that particular investment because I didn't have adequate information. So about the time we started uh, unraveling a little more, um, our friends at the government came in and took over this uh, uh, investment uh, operation. And um, certainly we discovered a lot more issues once the kind of the wrapper came off. And it was, it was a really interesting to, you know, go through it. Um, as I got involved in the arbitration on behalf of my client, and it was settled with, with an arbitration, which is amazing to me because the, the amount of losses or the amount of investment in this particular um, uh, portfolio, if you will, and my client was over $40 million. And this was one of the clients. So it was about a $900 million purported investment. And um, so we unraveled a number of things and some, you know, used uh, some former FBI agents. So it was really uh, uh, very interesting and, and uh, kind of fun in that sense of dealing with that. When it's, when it's not your money, it's okay to have fun <laughs> trying to uh, uncover the, the, the problems and the frauds that were involved. But um, the good thing was uh, uh, that the recovery was about 75% on, on that investment. So we were able to get into the weeds and find the investments and marshal those and get those put together. And this was kind of a global settlement, obviously, but uh, just very interesting. And it, uh, at the time, this was the biggest um, pension or employee benefit scam, a Ponzi scheme, um, which was subsequently eclipsed by uh, Bernie Madoff. So, <laughs> so it, it, was, it was the biggest, certainly for me, the biggest. And uh, for a while, it uh, had a lot of notoriety. In, um, in our circles anyway, for being a, the, one of the largest Ponzi schemes. But it's, it's now number two, which, which is sad in, in a sense of there's still someone out there trying to do that. You know, I, I think about those things and I think about the, the genesis of the idea, maybe somebody should look, and to the fruition and final. How long did that take? Um, usually because of the, the amount of transactions and the record keeping, it takes quite a while to, you know, get get those all in perspective, get access to them. In many cases, uh, that's a big issue. Getting access to original records sometimes is difficult. But uh, the Ponzi scheme took over six years. Yikes. And, you know, one local um, estate issue has taken over a year just because of the number of bank accounts and uh, getting access to those. Yeah, let's dig in a little bit. You, you mentioned, you know, the, the employee benefit side. Um, for some of the folks, maybe that doesn't really you know, resonate too much. But I think all of us, one way or another, you know, may or may not uh, be the recipient of, of assets from a family member at some point. How did that come to be where you were digging into this estate issue? Uh, we had situation where two uh, beneficiaries, uh, equal beneficiaries of an estate, 
um, and parents passed. And the one, uh, one child of the parents was a trustee. And so this trustee made numerous withdrawals um, to uh, her benefit. It was a woman in this case, to her benefit and to the detriment of, of her sibling. So we had to go back and, and figure out where the money came into the trust, where the money came out of the trust, and then subsequently into the estate. So we had both a trust and an estate that we had to go through and follow the transactions to you know, the ultimate recipient. So um, there was a significant difference over those years in one beneficiary uh, versus another beneficiary. And so we, we've unraveled that. And, um, and this is a case as in quite a few of these to where we work you know, hand in hand with the attorneys uh, involved um, in many cases on both sides. Um, some cases in divorce, it's adversarial. And so you're working on one side uh, versus the other. But in a lot of the larger cases, you're working you know, for a trust, for an estate, for a corporation, a business. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's really a, you know, a, a fact-finding adventure in many cases to get to the result. You know, I, I like your description of the fact-finding adventure. And I think pretty much every year around tax season, that doesn't feel like a fact-finding adventure when I have to assemble all the information. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Everybody I, finds it where they find it, right? Right. And, uh, you know, we're... And oftentimes we don't get a lot of cooperation in these matters. Um, you know, getting access to some of the records, we usually find that we need more records uh, mm -hmm. as a result of uh, finding what happened in one situation. We then go off uh, in the other direction to figure out uh, where all the tentacles of that transaction ended up. So in, in the, you know, year-long estate um, uh, engagement, that was what happened a lot of times. We had to track investments. Where did those investments go? Did we have overseas investments that got out of there? Um, one of the parties alleged that there were, you know, perhaps out of, uh, out of country investments. So we had to you know, fine tune our, our review of that to make sure we tracked all the in and out transactions of the, of the assets. You know, it's as I'm sitting here thinking, and 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 for the folks out listening, there might be uh, somebody says, you know, I really need to talk to you, Bill. I, I think I have a problem. How do they find you, Bill? Probably two ways. I mean, directly, certainly, uh, in in my firm, um, they would come to the firm, and uh, a lot of times they they come because they've heard that we do that type of work, um, and uh, another. Uh, other instance, we get referred by attorneys that are uh, in the midst of working with that business, that estate, mm -hmm. or an employee benefit plan that's, that's had issues. For, so, yeah, for the folks that want to take in and, and maybe reach out via email, what's your email or social media that they can find you at? Um, emails, my you know standard, so to speak, uh, and you know I've got. Um, my email address is bill at 
um, FM Consulting LLC uh, at gmail.com. Okay. And certainly I can be reached there, and I've got, um, you know, uh, cell phone certainly is the other uh, avenue that I use quite a bit because I do a lot of work out of the office in other um, offices or uh, environments, so cell phone is, is the best way to reach me quickly. Okay. And they can find your phone number on your, what, what is that phone number? Um, it's 719-338-4151. Perfect. You know, and, and as you're talking and, and you're heading out of your office to go do some work in the field, and what should a potential client expect when you first meet them and what type of questions should they expect to, 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 to find offered to them? I think the, a lot of the questions come from us on that initial interview in terms of finding out what, you know, needs the client has in terms of, you know, answering their questions or, you know, issues. And so we try to really delve into getting, you know, their um, questions or concerns uh, addressed in an initial interview so that we know what we're dealing with and can give them some idea of what's involved to uh, get answers for them. And so an initial client interview easily would take us an hour or hour and a half and um, be just kind of a fact-finding mission on our part to really delve into what they're after and, and what the issue is. So, so let's say that I'm that client and we had our initial interview last week and I elect, said, you know what, um, it sounds like there's something I need to find out. And what would then be the next step to engage you? What does that look like? Um, we would provide a, a, you know, kind of a, I call it a typical, but it's probably atypical in many senses, um, an engagement letter that would outline what we would do and what our, our goal is and what we would provide um, as a deliverable to that client. And a lot of times that's a, uh, an agreed upon procedures um, type of engagement where we outline what we would do, why we do it, and what the results would be and how we would summarize and provide that information to the client. When we were talking prior to the podcast, you said that there were basically three types of broad categories that you specialize in, and, and I think the first one you mentioned was the estate beneficiary side, which you touched on. Is there other things with respect to the estate side that would be subject to forensic accounting? Um, there can be. Um, many times at, that, at the estate level, when you get you know, at that point, marshalling the assets can be difficult and widespread. So in some cases, we've assisted um, a client to gather all those assets, get valuations done if that's necessary, if it's real estate or something that needs appraisals, so that we can provide um, both that gathering process and then provide that information for the estate, which ends up um, and culminates into a tax return in most cases. Uh, you know, I think about, as, as we visited beforehand, and you, you mentioned the estate side, which we've dug into, and then there's the business owner. 
And what in the business arena typically do you find where they would engage you guys? Um, probably when there's an, a disagreement or a dispute uh, involving business um, uh, contracts or something of that nature. Uh, in my um, public accounting uh, life, um, we had a lot of specialized knowledge in construction, uh, mechanical, electrical, general contractors. And we've had a couple of engagements to where we do what we call a job cost audit, to where uh, if there's questions uh, from an outside party or an inside question between a couple of owners, um, we will go in um, with their direction and verify the costs on a particular job. Um, one recently was where we had a joint venture with two two contractors and one contractor felt there could be job costs on that particular joint venture coming from the other contractor that were not on their joint job and that was in fact the case. And so, you know, again, kind of run a gamut of whatever questions a client or a business might have, um, we can address those and again, see if we can be of assistance find answers for it, it's, questions. It's interesting as I talk to any number of business owners over time, it seems like all of them had one instance of fraud or another, you know, whether it be a partner or whether it be an employee or, mm -hmm. or some other event. And if, if I'm out in the audience listening to this and I suspect that, that there's something going on and I reach out to you, how confidential does that discussion you know, have, and at what point in time does that discussion go across all the owners of a business? Um, typically, the, the conversation we have with whoever raises the question, um, we would uh, be in privity with that person. Uh, and depending on the, the question or the situation, um, we may uh, go and go forward to be engaged by the company to delve into that matter. If there are other owners that have that same question or issue, that, that would usually be the case that the corporation uh, partnership would engage us to go you know, into the uh, issue in detail and, and see if there is in fact a problem there. But it, it does get, um, perilous at times because if there's problems between two partners, um, they may not communicate, they may not see a company benefit and be, you know, personally in, entwined so that we do have to very carefully watch how and who we um, are engaged on those projects. I, I would imagine like many things, it gets complicated as soon as people disagree. It does, and we've had one recent case where you know an off-duty policeman was uh, part of our uh, team going in to discuss the issues. Well, you know, before we go into the final category, um, tell us the story. What what role did the the off-duty gentleman play? 
Well, his was just uh, kind of the the bouncer, if you will, in, in a <laughs> which is which is a first for uh, for uh, certainly me to be involved in in a situation where it was, you know, it was concerned to be um, volatile, and um, the one partner um, was not probably going to go quietly, um, and I think personalities, you know, play into that, you know. Um, and so that was decided by the other partner that he would have an off-duty policeman come in uh, for the discussion and, um, you know, he would lay out his plans for going forward, which were, were very uh, different from the way the company had been run and, and the direction. So it was... It was an interesting, uh, fairly short discussion, <laughs> but, but you never know. And I, you know, and I think if there's concern, that's very valid to do that, because obviously, you, you know, if if, it, if it's each other's livelihood, there's a p- potential chance for volatility and and uh, you know concern. So I think it's well to be armed, so to speak, with that knowledge ahead of time and make whatever arrangements might be suited to the situation. Well, I think that's professional risk management. It sure is. You know, and that makes some sense. So going into the volatile discussion, um, there's one other area that you guys specialize, and it has to do with the divorce arena. So kind of walk us through that thought process. Um, On the divorce side, we have usually worked with um, either one side or the other uh, in the divorce through the attorney to gather certain um, details, be they investments um, or records that um, haven't been offered. And sometimes we have to go through banks or investment uh, houses to get a lot of that information and go around when it's not offered or supplied. And so we typically are, are in the background on most of the divorce situations that we've been in, um, doing the document gathering process. And um, again, if there's concern about assets that haven't been listed in divorce uh, disclosures, um, we'll go through that and see if, in fact, there are undisclosed assets. You guys also get involved, I think, in if there's a benefit package for one of the, the soon-to-be ex-spouses where you're trying to evaluate the current. Can right. you touch on that a little bit? Um, that used to be a real difficult area or more difficult area than it is now. I think with most of the retirement assets or uh, investment assets are typically listed uh, securities, stocks, bonds, that sort of thing. And so that's gotten to be a lot easier. And we we haven't seen um, a lot of cases lately that involve, you know, hard to value, hard to locate mm-hmm. assets, mm-hmm. because I think most, most people are in the mainstream have have those assets in uh, brokerage houses or banks, so we can readily determine those. And um, personal property gets 
sticky, but we you know, typically um, get that done through either the marriage arbitration process uh, or the attorneys will will lay that out and, and uh, sometimes leave them in the room to come up with a, uh, a division that they're comfortable with. You know, circling back around a little bit, you know, we've talked about, you know, the various areas that you work in and, and your experience in the past. And I thought it might be interesting to go through maybe um, like a short case study on each of those three areas, you know, and, you know, the estate side, the business side, and the divorce side. So without naming names or divulging information, can you go through, um, for instance, and what we're trying to do is paint the mental image of how you fit into those and so folks can draw that that parallel in their mind. Yeah. Probably the easiest one, which we did spend some time on earlier, would be the, the trust and estate situation to where um, one party was frustrated uh, with distributions and income that they received and knowing that the other party received more, um, that that's what, you know, can happen in, in a situation that we have to go in and, and find uh, those transactions. And I think probably what we um, want to have happen is, is just total cooperation, but a lot of times we don't get, get that cooperation, so we have to kind of make that cooperation through the attorneys. And in this case, uh, an attorney for each side um, wanted, you know, someone outside of their uh, trust beneficiaries uh, realm to come in on a, you know, independent basis. And so we were selected by the two attorneys to come in and provide uh, that service of searching and um, verifying the allocation or the lack of allocation of mm-hmm. of those uh, trust assets. You know, so the, the trust situation, does it have an effect if one or the other people are either co-executors or one's the executor and one's not? Uh, that, that was the case here, which, you know, one party was a trustee on the trust, and that can be problematic. Um, And what we unfortunately find when that happens is that that, you know, executor, co-executor, personal representative, who's also a beneficiary, uh, gets a lot of control uh, of assets. And I think, you know, we see a lot of times to where there's there's some greed that comes out in that process and a lot of explanations for what what they've done, but certainly to the detriment of, of the other sibling or, or uh, beneficiary. So, you know, th- thinking past the estates, can you do a case study discussion on, on a divorce and, and, you know, pros and cons of being involved in when you guys are done with the forensic work, does that really help and level the playing field when you're done? Well, I think I think it makes the playing field in a lot of cases um, rather than level it. 
because in when we get called in, there's usually questions as to uh, where those assets are, what they are sometimes. Um, thinking back, one had a lot of uh, real estate partnerships involved to where uh, one of the spouses was very active in developing real estate um, rental projects, uh, apartment buildings. So um, getting all those pieces pulled together and uh, verifying the numbers, the cash flows, uh, verifying the balance sheets and, and income statements on those properties was vital to come up to um, a settlement number with that type of, of asset. And then lastly, we talked, I think, at length about the business side. So we've talked about the estate side. We've talked about the divorce side. So putting my hat on backwards, if I'm an attorney that works in, in this marketplace, all right, what are the one or two things that they should have uppermost in their mind um, about engaging um, forensic services? What are the things they need to be aware of and think about? Uh, I think the first thing uh, is independence of that forensic um, person so that, um, you know, in Colorado Springs, uh, a lot of the attorneys um, work together on various cases throughout the years. And so we think it's important to have a totally independent party that's not had relationship, business relationships with either party or any of the parties involved to come in and provide those forensic services just so that there's no um, issue with regard to independence and, and how that um, comes to a conclusion. Um, and I think the, the other is just experience and in, in, in exposure to that particular um, segment, if you will, of, of auditing that you know, you're looking for those issues. You've looked and found many issues in various situations. And so I think just experience is, is another big factor that, that I think should play into that. If, if you're a corporate trustee of an asset and do they have the similar thought process as an attorney does if they want to engage your service on the behalf of per, per, perhaps a beneficiary? Um, they, they typically do. Um, and again, I think the independence in that situation is vital as well. And, and I think that, that they, they really want somebody that's got experience because obviously experience can mean, you know, you can do it effectively and timely. Um, and so that you're not, um, you know, spinning your wheels and you know where to go to get what type of information because you've been there and done that numerous times. You know, as, as I think about the forensic world, I suspect that it's not that well known about and talked about. What do you think are the top one or two misconceptions that folks have about the forensic space? I think in, in a lot of situations, they, they don't uh, realize uh, the, the nature of a lot of the transactions that, that they've looked at or been involved in. And um, I think getting them that information and going through an explanation as well as 
is providing them, um, you know, with with a, a report. Um, I think that's critical to them understanding what you're doing. And I, th I think it's um, just probably incumbent on them uh, to, um, again, engage someone that, that has experience and exposure. All right. Um, and so I think on the corporate side, um, a lot of times they may have internally um, people that they do that, um, you know, a bank trust company, for example, um, they may have some of their internal staff has internal audit that they'll do some of that. But I think in a lot of cases, um, they do that to an extent to gather and shortcut the time. And then they go out and find someone independent mm -hmm. again to, um, work to a conclusion on it. Bill, we talked a little bit um, before the podcast about uh, the value that you bring to um, the business owner that's possibly looking at acquiring another business. Can you walk us through the thought process of, of what you do for somebody that's looking at potentially acquiring another business? Sure. Uh, we've done numerous due diligence engagements to where we work for the prospective buyer um, to verify the financials of the um, potential purchase of the business that he's wanting to uh, get into. And I think the, the primary thing we do there is uh, quite a bit of analytic work. Um, but again, uh, we'll verify uh, the latest balance sheet and income statement and um, again, tracing back a few years so that we have a good view historically of where the business was uh, for three or five years back and then what it is today. And that raises numerous questions at times, uh, some of which have a, a, a good easy answer. And if, if there's kind of a um, long pause when we ask those questions, it gives us concern and certainly raises a flag to, to our client that um, that's a bigger question that we should spend more time at or go into more detail with. Yeah, I think peace of mind. You bet. You know, in, in thinking about your career, and we're, we're heading toward, toward the end here, um, what are the one or two traits that you think you have that have made you excel in this forensic space? Uh, I think probably just um, whenever I take an engagement, I want to get it done as efficiently and uh, timely as I can because a lot of times uh, you have litigation looming on some of these situations or um, the attorneys want to come to a, a point of negotiation. So I think that, you know, I, I really, you know, have prided myself on getting in and getting uh, the work done so that, you know, those decisions can be made. And, um, and then I think just going back on my experience, I've seen a lot of ways that um, books are manipulated um, and fraud can occur. And so just armed with that experience, I think, you know, it's easier to get a timely uh, resolution sometimes but also to, to get 
look at the big picture and, and make sure that it's in focus with everybody involved. So to head toward the end, what are one or two pieces of perhaps parting guidance that you might offer to the listener about in this space? I, I think when we get a question, um, I think there's always um, th that old mantra of, you know, you may trust it, but you should verify it. So if there's a question that comes up, we're looking at a, a financial balance sheet or, um, you know, something doesn't feel right, um, we just in encourage our, our client or a potential client that, you know, need to verify. A lot of times there's there's a lot of trust and sometimes it gets misplaced. So the verifying part of it should come into play and, and uh, that's where where we, we come in and hopefully make that an easy uh, answer. Uh, sometimes not the one they want, but certainly an, an answer that we can give to the client to complete their question. Well, Bill, I sure appreciate you being on the show and thanks for all the tips and, and insights. Great to be here. Thank you.